Well, good morning, and so glad we're here together just to lift the name of Christ high and be together and rejoice and get in the Word. And I just want to encourage you one additional thing here is that uh, this week on Tuesday night, uh, Harvest and the Walk in the Word is coming into town Tuesday night, and uh, you've got all the information there in your update, and I just really want to encourage you to be there Tuesday evening downtown at the old Murat, which is the old National Bank or something like that now downtown, and just looking to gather with a thousand plus other people from Indianapolis and just uh, spending time in the Word and worship and uh, looking forward to that. Well, as we dig into the Word this morning, I just want first to start out thinking of a scenario. Let's just say there's some people that you know pretty well. And these have been individuals that you know of that have uh, had some, you've had some faith influence on in their lives. And uh, they come to you one day, kind of as a, a small group of people, and they just pull you aside and say, you know, we've been talking, and uh, we've been talking about you. And you're like, uh-oh. Uh, we've been talking about you, and we're wondering, how do we know whether what you and your faith message is, are for real. I mean, seriously. We just really would like to know, how do we know if what you're saying you're about and you are for real? What would you say? Where would you begin in that dialogue? Well, if you will, that's kind of a lightened scenario of what the Apostle Paul was experiencing Uh, He was experiencing with these group of people in the region of Galatia, people that he had known, had had ministered to, had actually come to them as a missionary prior, and uh, there were some similar questions being asked. Hey, Paul, how do we know whether you're really for real and whether what you're saying is for real? I'd like for you to open to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. Paul and Barnabas, as I mentioned, they've been to this region prior, if you will, as we would kind of know as missionaries. They've been there. They've shared the great news of the gospel with the people there. The great news that there is a great big God solution to our great big sin problem. And that solution is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And there have been some exciting things that have taken place there in the region of Galatia and People have come to Christ, churches are being formed, and disciples are being raised, and Christ's name is being lifted high, but but always with declaration, there comes some level of accusation along with it. And there were some who were in this region called Judaizers, and they had a bit of a different perspective on Paul and Barnabas. And their message. And the Judaizers, of which Paul was one at one time, we'll get there in our text today, um, they are kind of in this realm of, you know, Paul, the whole Jesus thing, okay, we, we can kind of go with that, at least with these individuals. They were likely more to be, you know, okay, yeah, he died on the cross, he came, he rose again, we can kind of go with that. Uh, but there's more than that. You're really only giving a partial amount of the message. Uh, you're leaving out a big part of what God has to proclaim, and that's this. All the stuff from the past that we've put in place. 
things like the protocols and, and the circumcision and, and dressing a certain way and the historical protocols and ceremonies. And really what the Judaizers are doing are actually protecting what they think is the correct faith system. And uh, so how they do that is by really shooting down the false message and the one who is what they think is carrying the false message himself, which is Paul. And so ultimately, this is leading to a whole lot of confusion for these dear believers, followers of Christ in this region, because folks, one of the things we have to remember is they did not have a New Testament. We forget that in our day and age. These are people who are living shortly after the death and resurrection of Christ. And all of what's taking place is really verbal. It's word of mouth. And you know the phone game. If you played that as a kid, someone starts out with a story, and by the time it gets to the end, it's like, I have to admit, I was the kid who partway through thought it was absolutely hilarious to change the entire story. You with me? Okay, that was a guy kind of a thing. Uh, But what ended up happening is these dear believers in Christ, you know, they're hearing, literally hearing, about Christ in the gospel message. And yet, they're also hearing about these other things. What's the truth? What's the truth? Well, how does Paul answer that question of his, from his questioners? Where did he begin? Well, as we looked at last week, he begins by acknowledging the problem of, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the faith uh, or deserting the gospel But today, we're going to go in and take a look at how he begins to uh, defend his credentials with first off by addressing the fact that our mission is to be a God pleaser. Let's take a look in the text here. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 10. But let me pray before we get going. God, I thank you for the time and the word. May your word be rich, powerful, impacting, and may we be hearers and learners and ready to change kind of people in areas we need to change for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Verse 10 and 11, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is really an interesting statement Paul starts out with. He, he's he's uh, communicating back, uh, relating to some of the accusations, uh, validating his credentials. It's a good question. Hey, Paul, are you for real? Is your message for real? And so Paul brings it back to this issue. And in the first sentence there, the first question, he says, am I seeking the approval of? Uh, this word for approval, it's one word in the Greek. It's referring to a wanting to please, a striving to please, a desiring to win the pleasure of. And it has this sense of the continuous action of. Hey, listen, every one of us struggle to be a man pleaser. All of us do. What Paul is talking about here in the first question is, is listen, am I the kind of person that the predominant main thing that I defines me is I love this. The first word is kind of this internal yearning for, am I so just wanting people just to accept me and love me? And just, I just, 
I just want people to just admire me. You and I know what that's like, don't we? You and I know what that's like, don't we? Yeah, we do. And Paul is addressing really this internal component of this in the very first question. He's saying, listen, within me, am I really one who's yearning for, for the pleasure of God or the pleasure of other people? The second question, he almost asks it again. He says, or am I trying to please man? Well, isn't that the same question? Well, not really, because the word that he uses there has to do more with the external reality of it. It's kind of like he's saying, listen, on the inside, am I someone? Am I the kind of guy? As you've looked at me and you know me, have you seen a guy who, if you will, on the inside from what you can see is someone who just yearns to be able to be about people like all the religious carnies who are out there today? Or... Am I someone who's just on the inside, really wanting to be about the Lord? And then the second question is, and what have you seen? Have you seen me be the kind of guy that's all about wanting to please other people? Or are you seeing me be the kind of guy that wants to really genuinely please the Lord? Notice in here, he says, for am I now? And then later on, he says, if I were still trying to please man. I love it. I love Paul's honesty. I love Paul in this statement because Paul is in essence saying, I get the problem. In fact, I was living proof of the problem. In fact, uh, turn a couple pages over to the right to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, just briefly here, Paul, in a few verses, verses 4 through 6, he is telling here, he's given in essence his testimony, and he's telling what he was before big God showed up on the road to Damascus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Stop. In essence, Paul is going, listen, all you religious people... All you people who think you can earn God's favor all on your own, that you have the to-do list, the moral majority, the moral whatever. Hey, if you think you can earn God's favor, listen, I can beat you at it. <laughs> because I used to be all about it. And in fact, I can top you out however religious you think you were. I can beat you to that game. And he starts listing. Now, some of these things don't mean much to you, but let me kind of try and read it in a way that uh, might help us. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Take that. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Take that. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Take that one. And as to the law, a Pharisee. Ha <laughs> ha, take that one a persecutor of the church, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church. Hey, listen, you just talked about being frustrated with those Christians who claimed that Christ was the answer to our sin problem. You just talked about it. I went and did something about it. Take that. And then this last one. As to righteousness, as to being spiritually right under the law, in other words, the law really referring to not the way God had set the law up. Listen, the Old Testament was all about the law showing the fact that we cannot earn our way to God's favor by our works. 
The law was there to show that we fall way short. The Old Testament was all about salvation by grace through faith. By grace through faith in the coming Messiah. Here, when Paul talks about the law, he's talking about the man-manufactured law that grew out of that, that became this ridiculous pile of junk stuff to do to earn God's favor. And he says, hey, as to that whole thing, I was blameless. Take that. Hey, um, Paul is saying, if I was still that way, it would be very obvious to you. But you've had the opportunity to hear me and see me and watch me and be around me. And you know the way that I used to be isn't the way that I am. Hey, for you that really struggle with being a person that is living for the purpose of pleasing others, this should give you immense hope. Because Paul was one. And by God's grace, Paul changed. Paul wasn't that anymore. There's hope of change. Paul went from being a man-pleaser to a God-pleaser. Listen, a people-pleasing person really is about pleasing self. A people-pleasing person really is about lifting myself up. So here's the question as we just hit these first couple verses. Whose pleasure do you live for? Whose applause do you live for? Whose well done do you live for? Friends? Spouse? Child, children, family, co-workers. Hey, those are all great things that God's given us the opportunity to minister to and be around and be a testimony to. But living for them and for their pleasure versus living for the pleasure of the Lord is a different ball game. Let me try and bring some reality to this. This morning, this morning, when you and I woke up, um, was the thought of pleasing God something that came to mind this morning before my feet hit the floor. Listen, I'm evaluating self as well here. This is not a pile of guilt. This is a reality exercise. Before my feet hit hit the floor this morning, in my head, was I thinking as someone who has been recreated in Christ for God's glory, Am I thinking about the day ahead and my schedule and and how the Lord could use me and what I could be doing? And God, this is a day for you. Let's say we get into the bathroom and we're taking a shower and as an old pastor friend uh, uh, who's with the Lord now used to say, you know, hey, if you need to paint the barn, paint the barn. As you're getting around in the morning and so forth, um, when I'm getting dressed, are you thinking about, hey, what I'm wearing? And just even my mindset in getting ready this morning is pleasing the Lord a part of what's taking place right here this morning, right now? Or am I thinking about going to school or whether coming to church as we're taking it this morning? Or am I thinking about how, how, how can I end up looking hottest and getting attention and eyes? We move on and we think about this whole thing of, okay, we're getting ready in the morning. How is a spouse? Can I be helping in the home right now to a husband? Ephesians chapter 5, a husband who's betraying myself for my spouse, for my wife. 
Am I thinking this morning as we're getting around, how can I betray myself as Christ betrayed the church to be able, or betrayed himself for the church? To, how can I do that this morning and be that living picture this morning? How can I help with the kids? How can I, as a wife, who's Ephesians chapter 5, yielding myself for my husband, how can this morning I be serving him? And as a parent who's raising my kids to honor the Lord, how can I be doing that this morning? Listen, all this morning was an opportunity to bring glory to the Lord. Every moment, every second, all the time. What about when we get in the car? and I'm driving over to church. Have there been some things this morning where it's been chaos and I've responded with a bad attitude or sinfully, knowing that we're coming over to corporately be able to worship the Lord together? I'm taking care of it in the car and right there, maybe turning to my wife next to me and asking for forgiveness to be able to get right before we come in today. Or turning, looking to the back seat and asking the kids for forgiveness. Even if little Lukey is six months old, just the practice of Luke this morning, I responded sinfully to you. Will you forgive me? Because we're heading to church. In the car, am I thinking about how I can help prepare my family for this time of coming together corporately if there's others in the car with you? Hey, let's take some time and just pray as we get ready because we're coming as a family, to the family, before the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What about when I'm walking in the door this morning? Am I just, where's my head at? Is, is it, you know what, I'm coming in and I'm coming in as a hermit? I just want to come in, do my task and do my thing. I really don't want to talk to anybody. I don't really don't want to interact with anybody because, after all, I don't know what they might think of me. Whereas I come in this morning, it's just like, you know, it's not my thing. I'm not real an, an extrovert kind of a person. So I'd really rather just kind of huddle up in my own little closet world and just, it's me and Jesus after all. Not really? Or are we thinking, walking in the door, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider, that's a preemptive thought plan. Let us consider how we may encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near. Or am I coming in the door and rehearsing through my head and maybe of someone that I know who's going through a tough time that I can just be a word of encouragement to them today? Or someone that I'm going to come in, it's like, you know, I can't think of anybody, but I'm telling you, I'm, I got my eyes. I'm looking for someone who looks newer. I don't care if they've been here nine months and they're new to me. I'm coming in the door and I'm going to love them, even though that's so outside of my box. I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because God left his home and came into my sad, sorry world for me. And I think that might bring glory to Christ to do that. What about here in the time when we're singing together? And again, please, I understand that people are different. I grew up in a background to where, man, if you clapped in church, it was like a rockin' electric day. And many were kind of wondering if you were really still even a Christian or if you were beginning to now become that terrible word. And excuse me if you have this background, but I'm just telling you from backgrounds like mine, you're becoming like a charismatic
I'm just telling you, I'm so over that. And I'm not like, I'm the example. But who cares what the person next to me think of? I'm like, yeah, God, it's all about you when we're singing. Because I can go to a football game and like, get, yeah, go Colts, go Colts. And then I'm here at church. It's like, yeah, God's really big. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I understand different backgrounds and different personalities. But I am telling you something. There comes a point where we go, so stinking What? Why do I bring all this up? Because as I was thinking about this week, oh my word, does the fear of man control our lives so much because of what I want. Listen, if we were the kind of people who got out of this Christian box reality to where there's Christian things that we do. Small group, that's Christian time. Church, that's Christian time. You know, uh, this, that's Christmas, Christian time. And then everything else is kind of like f- empty filler. Oh, that is such a wrong view of the Christian life. God created us to be ongoing, 24-7 worshipers of him in everything that you do. And I struggle with this. And I know you do too. Because Paul talks about his struggle with it. Hey, friends, I just want to start out here in these first couple verses. I'm spending this time on it. Because, listen, Paul comes out here and he addresses this whole thing of, listen, how do I know that you're for real? Because look at my life. Look at what's going on. And I am to be about someone who is pleasing God all the time, nonstop, ongoing. Our mission is to be a God-pleaser And secondly, our mission is to be a God revelation receiver and giver. Look at these next passages, verse 11. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that's going on here, and Paul in his setting and in his situation, he's giving the clear reality, and we'll see it here as we read some more in a minute. We see the clear reality that Paul is letting his people know, listen, God has given me a very special revelation. This is a revelation that I didn't get from the apostles. I didn't get from the disciples. I didn't get from the rabbi, teachers, and leaders. This is revelation that God gave me directly. Remember, the New Testament was not written yet. And so Paul's coming in this and he's saying, listen, this isn't what I'm telling you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about how God has moved from Israel as a selected nation for a period of time to to go to the church, the Gentiles, and the world inclusion of them in the process here at this point in time. It's not man-invented. It's not well-intentioned views all put together. It's not what the apostles gave him. It's not what his mommy and his daddy raised him up as. But what he preached was what he received was God's special revelation. Paul was about God-revealed truth. Not about what he thought, but about what God thought. And he was about taking it in, and he was about giving it out. Notice in there, for I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a special revelation. 
He wasn't like the Judaizers. The Judaizers in the day, they're all about what the oldest and latest, oldest or latest uh, kind of big dog thinkers of the day talked about. I just want to say that this to us. Listen, so often we get caught in the commentaries talking all about the source that we forget about getting like in the source. I really appreciate people how God has gifted them to be able to help us with various resources. I'm grateful for James McDonald. I'm grateful for John MacArthur. I'm grateful for Piper and C.J. Mahaney and many others who do many writings. I'm thankful for uh, Beth Moore. I'm thankful uh, Elise Patrick, who many of the women went to. I'm thankful for many of these women. I'm thankful for many of these men. But I also got to tell you, we have a tendency to be all about them and what they have to say. I'm a follower of James. I'm a follower of Beth Moore. Great. What about Christ and the scriptures? They help, but be careful. Just be careful. Because that was part of what the Judaizers were about. Who they followed, the men that they followed. They weren't, Paul wasn't like the religious carnies of the day, saying whatever would attract itching ears. Paul was about God's revelation. He was about God's revelation straight up. And friends, I just want to tell you and remind us, we are so blessed. We have the written words of who? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, so that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work not partially equipped for most of the work, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word penned down, men moved along, writing down exactly what God wanted written down. We have this. They didn't then. We are so blessed. Question, are you taking it in person? You see, Paul, when Christ showed up on the road to Damascus, He wasn't looking for Christ at all. He was looking for Christians to beat the living life out of him. And then Christ shows up. And it could be that Christ shows up and does all that really cool thing in Acts 9 that we read a few weeks ago uh, on that. And he could have said, that's really cool. I'm going to continue thinking about that. Let me just date you, Jesus, for a while. Let's just date for a while. Kind of see how this works for me. Or it could be like, you know, I'm going to ponder that for a while. Or, wow, I'm going to be kind of frankly like the Judaizers that were in Galatia. I'm going to take that and I'm going to add it with this. And we're going to make this concoction that's pretty interesting. Uh, he could have done that. He could have said, hey, that, wow, wow, wow. But uh, I'm out. But instead, Paul, in this, he, he, in essence, he says, listen, I'm in. I am in on this. I'm taking it and I'm going with it and I'm going to serve you faithfully. I'm going to be a Jesus Christ pleaser, one who's communicating the words of Jesus Christ, not the words of what I think. And I just want to say, are you a taking in God's word kind of person? If you're at that place where you're just wondering even what a relationship with Christ is all about, I just want to let you know it's right in here. Here's the cool thing. God hasn't left it to make it so we wonder. It's written in here. It's there. And if you don't know where to go, hey, grab someone around you or come and grab someone here. 
We'd love to. We'd love to spend time with you, even weeks with you, even months with you, helping you come to understand what the scripture has to say, not what I think, but what God's word has to say. And redeemed child, if you know Christ as your savior, are you in it? Hey, friends, just an honest, since I'm being so straight up honest today, one other thing, it is just discouraging to see the lack of understanding of biblical truth by God's people. And I'm in that camp as well. Why is it so hard for us to engulf ourselves in God's words? I wonder if part of it's because we really, when it comes down to it, our actions show that we really don't see it as God's words. We just see it as some really nice, insightful, helpful, spiritual stuff. Listen, we need to be taking God's word in doses kind of a reality. But Christian, are you giving out God's revelation? Not just taking it in, but giving it out to yourself throughout the day. What does scripture have to say about this? What does scripture have to say about this? What does scripture have to say about this? 2 Peter chapter 1 says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything for life and godliness. Am I giving out scripture to myself? Am I giving out scripture to my family? Am I giving out scripture in small groups? Am I giving out scripture to my friends? I'm just going to be straight with you here for myself. This is one of the things we're here in the past weeks. I've come to realize I just have like dropped the ball in the last years and staying up with scripture memory. And I'm working to get back at it. And part of it right now is just getting back at so many of the passages I've memorized in the past. So if you want to sometime come up and ask me, so what passage are you, what are you working on this week? Feel free. Feel free. Because we want to be people that are taking it in and giving it out, ready at all times. Well, our mission is to be God-pleasers. Paul responds back to him in essence. And we're also to be God-revelation receivers and givers. Third, we are to be advancing disciples of Jesus Christ. Advancing disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me pick up in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Now, Paul begins here, here all the way into chapter 2 next week, telling about his story. So here we go. Listen to some of his story. And it tells the story of how a disciple is formed. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. Notice that last part? For the tradition of my fathers. It's very interesting. Now that Paul is on this side of the fence with Christ, as he looks back and he evaluates what he was really all about, he gives a very honest assessment. He goes back and he says, you know what? Back here, when I was over here, I was saying I was all about the Lord. But now that I'm over here in a relationship with Christ rather than some concocted religion formula, now as I look back, you know what? I was really all about the past issues of my family and my country. It really wasn't about a relationship with the Lord. It was about this formula of what was happening in life. He's telling you, listen, this is what I was. But look at verse 15. 
but when he who had set me apart. This is like Act, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. If you remember on Easter, verses 1 through 3, but you were dead. And then verse 4 comes in, he says, then but God. Look at verse 15. But when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, for those of you who have been around the Christian life and have some interest in theological issues, one of the very first things that come in is, so is, is this saying that there, uh, we're predestined? Uh, yeah. That's exactly what this passage is saying. But I thought we choose. Yeah, you do. Um, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. That sounds like a choice. Yeah, the Bible says that. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and receive, yeah, that's what the Bible says. It says that. But wait a second. That you're saying here that from eternity past, God picked Paul to, to come to know him. God picked Paul to come to receive him. He, uh, as far as, uh, from what I'm reading, unless you're reading it differently, that's exactly what it says. In fact, let's read it again. But when he had set me apart had chosen me, had, had elected me before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. But I'm having a hard time reconciling that with the whole receive thing. Fine. Good. Me too. But I'm telling you, I'm not getting out my Bible scissors and cutting that verse out because I can't rectify the two together. How about this? God's word says it, so I believe it. And the day comes when I stand before God and go, God, you know, you remember on earth there's this whole predestination, free will issue, you know, the Calvinism, Armenian. Oh, I'm so tired of that. Whole thing, because, you know, God, remember all that back then and these two opposing views and how it just caused churches to split and people to get all in a huff and frankly, people even just to hate each other and smack talk each other. You remember that whole thing? How does that work out? And God's going to talk for a little while and then I'm going to kind of walk away. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to figure it out, don't you? How about we just leave it there? How about if scripture says it, I, I can get on board with it? Now listen, God chose Paul. And Paul, of anyone in the New Testament, you go to Ephesians chapter 1, you go through all of his epistles, he continually talks about having been chosen. Again and again and again. Why? Because he wasn't even looking for Christ, and Christ showed up in his life. But may I also say this? When Christ showed up by God's intervening grace in his life, Paul also got on board. Okay, I can go with that. You know, it's good not to understand some things sometimes. It makes God a little bit bigger. Here on this, I just want to point out is that uh, Paul came to Christ. He came to salvation in Christ. He heard the gospel directly from the gospel. And he received it. I just want to ask you, if you're at a point where in this whole process, what does a disciple of Christ look like? It looks like this. There comes a point in time where you drive the stake in the ground, where you sign yourself up, you step across the fence, you join the team, and you get out of dating Jesus and make the covenant vow. I'm in. 
You're my savior. I repent and I'm following you and life changes. A disciple of Christ is someone who first needs to be saved in Christ because of sin. If this is where you're kind of at, if you haven't decided, I just want to encourage you in a loving kind of a way, give you a little nudge. Hey, this is too important to wait on. Go for it. Ask the questions. Nothing's wrong with asking the questions. I love people that ask questions really wanting to know. Go. This is about eternity, and this is about everything that life is about and this choice of salvation. But it doesn't stop there. For those of you who have come to know Christ as your Savior, man, you just look back, and if, as I understand Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, my total depravity, my total inability, I have to sit back and go, <laughs> God, thank you for grabbing a hold of me. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to choose you. There, I got both of them in there. A disciple starts with salvation uh, quickly here, moves to formation, formation in Christ. Uh, let's pick up. Um, let's pick up at the end of verse 16. Paul says, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after how many years? Three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Cephas is, is Peter. Uh, but, I was, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. By the way, that was kind of a... a, 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 a parenthetical statement that was commonly made back in that day. It's kind of like, no, I'm shooting straight with you. Or as I've said sometimes, and apparently people haven't heard before, uh, is no, I'm dead dog serious. Uh, I said that as a kid. Did you ever? Okay, good. Some people were like, that's pretty sick. Uh, verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I still was unknown in person. I was unknown after three years. Paul is unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And they only are hearing it said, he used to persecute us. Now he's preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy. How would you respond to that? Yeah, glorify God, big God. That's what's going on here. Just because of time, let me point this out. Paul didn't go from conversion to missionary traveling around the world overnight. Paul went from a hater of Christ, separated from God because of sin, to a child of God, redeemed by the person and work and blood and resurrection of Christ overnight. But the whole thing becoming Paul, from Saul to Paul, was years. In fact, there were years where he was like, nobody knew about this guy. He was off. Uh, what was he doing? I, I, we really don't fully know. But I want to say as we look through Scripture, we look at the disciples, three years with Christ. Is there something special about three years? No, it just happened to be about that time. Three years of mentoring, of growing, of establishing. Oh, I'm going to tell you, in those three years, just knowing Paul from the Scriptures, we see him, he had to be back in those three years, just grabbing the Old Testament out and rereading it through with the new lens of Jesus Christ and growing and wrestling and working out his salvation in his own theology, in his own life work, and becoming someone who used to be a Judaizer, now is a follower, a Christian. 
What does that look like? And I want to say this. Many people get to the place where they come to know Christ as Savior and are stuck there. They think it's done. The deed is done. And now I just wait till Jesus returns or until I see the Lord face to face. No, that's the start. It's just like the wedding vow. You make the covenant. Life changes now. And it's all about everything after that. It's a disciple is someone who's growing in Christ. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue walking in him. Rooted and upbuilt. Strengthened in the Lord. It's going, I'm a babe in Christ, and I need to be growing in Christ. And I just want to say, if you're someone who's got to the place where you've received Christ as your Savior, and you're stuck there, I just have to say something. That was never what the gospel was intended to look like. In fact, I would even lovingly challenge you and say, do you really even understand what the gospel of Christ is? You see, it's about stepping over the fence and beginning the journey of becoming a child of God, maturing as Colossians 1, 28, 29, becoming complete, perfect is the term, but not perfect as in without sin, but growing and maturing. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who comes to Jesus Christ, receiving him as their savior, and then begins the process of growing. Are you growing in Christ? Listen, I want to tell you something. Here's a church behind the scenes. We are working and thinking and talking about things. Here's a church. How do we become a true disciple-making church? Would you pray for us? Because right now we're rethinking the entire paradigm of what that looks. Don't, don't get freaked out. We're not going crazy. But we are asking the question, what does it really, really look like? Are we just going to program it? Or are we going to really try and be it? Because, by the way, this third one, real quick, is advancing disciples, someone who comes to Christ uh, and, uh, and is formed in Christ, is growing in Christ. But here's the la- last one, is multiplier, is, is someone who reproduces for Christ. Mark chapter 4, just not write it down. Mark chapter 4, the soil and the seeds. Uh, the fourth soil, that's what Christ is looking for. The soil that receives the seed, the soil that receives the word, receives Christ and grows and produces. By the way, here's the thing. Most followers of Christ get stuck on the thinking that a disciple is me getting more and more knowledge of what Jesus living the Christian life is all about. And I get stuck on me. Never the intention. And if you're stuck on you, you've got the wrong understanding of what a disciple in Christ is. A disciple in Christ is what we sang earlier. And a a disciple of Christ is what our mission is. Look on the back of our updates. Matthew 20 and 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples. Uh, By the way, 16, did you see the little part I missed in the middle of verse 16? Uh, He was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Listen, from the very beginning, Paul knew that the objective was one day he was going to go be a guy who was going to reproduce and multiply and spread the news of the gospel and disciple people in Christ to become disciple makers. A disciple is a disciple maker. If you're a disciple in Christ, do you understand that? Do you understand that God has called you to grow into becoming a disciple maker, not just a disciple in and of myself? Do you know that? Seriously, do you? Because if you do, there are people in your life that you are having discipling relationships with. This is one of the reasons I, frankly, I have a hard time with adult Bible fellowships in Sunday school. 
Because so often what ends up happening is people end up coming to a class sitting there and it's like, teach me, teach me. And it just gives the idea that what the Christian, a disciple in Christ is about is just getting a bigger and bigger head of knowledge. And it, literally, it patterns that. Someone is here to teach, I'm here to sit and receive. That's not Matthew 28, 19 and 20. That's not 2 Timothy 2, 2. That's not what Paul understood. That's not the commission that Christ gave. The idea is go, go, do something, get involved with people, share your life. Small group isn't a Sunday school class. Small group is about you coming and you investing in it and you making disciples, even if you're not the leader. The Christian life is about being a place that makes disciples. This is the thing, and Nick, go ahead and come on up as I close up here. This is the thing we are working on right now. How are we going to become not a church that raises big-headed disciples, but how are we raising a church that is raising big-feeted disciple-makers? My job, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry means engaging in the lives of other people to disciple them along. Are you engaging? Are you engaging yourself? Is that your desire? That's the desire of, for you from Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the time this morning, just the challenge. Boy, this has been a passage where I look at how Paul uh, responds back to those who were asking if he was for real, if his word was legit. And it's just interesting to me. He just goes back and he just starts telling his story. He starts telling his story of what he used to be about. He used to be about a pleaser of man. But then he came to understand he used to be a pleaser of you. And as he looked back in his own life, he recollected the fact that, you know what? He used to be more about what man said and what man thought and what man taught than about what you taught. And Lord, as he looked back at his life, he saw this movement. This movement in life of coming to the place of receiving Christ as a Savior. The movement of that period of time in his life that we know is almost nothing about. But clearly was preparation time, forming time. We're always growing. But Paul was in that major developmental place in maturing in Christ. Why? For the purpose of being able to be someone who can then be an influencer of other people for Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be a church that doesn't just say it, but if someone were to ask, why are you guys for real? We could honestly look back and say, you know what? We're really working to be a pleaser of God. We're really working to be about people that are about the scripture, God's words. And we're a people that is coming to Christ and growing and changing in Christ and reproducing in Christ, multiplying. God, you want more. You want more. And healthy things grow. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us the passion to be a church of disciples that makes disciples. 
for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.